Let us pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the testimony of your scripture and for the cast of characters that are in it, and indeed the ones that are often overlooked, uh, sometimes intentionally, uh, but the way that you speak even through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, So this morning, um, again, this was originally a four-part series, now a five-part series on unlikely converts, and the first one we did was Rahab the Prostitute. And then we did uh, Jonah and the Great Fish. And then the third one is uh, Gomer the Prostitute. And then the last one was going to be Malchus and um, uh, Simon of Cyrene. And um, and Gil was quick to note that a full half had to do with prostitutes. And uh, and I said, well, there you have it. But... (laughs) I, you know, it says something. I don't know what it says, but um, today is actually uh, pretty powerful because with um, Rahab, um, the um, her prostitution was part of her testimony, but she had moved beyond it. Like in it, you could see the light at the tunnel in her story that here was a redeemed prostitute who had who had right things had worked out for her, and uh, following the fall of Jericho. Um, right now I'm watching a three-year-old child pull a full pitcher of water into a very tiny cup. (laughs) You did great. You really did. Um, So, she'll end up on my couch one day. Okay. So, like, there was a man who, anyway, um, with Gomer, with with Rahab, there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, and um, And she goes on to live in the land of Israel with the Israelites, and she's a convert and lives happily ever after and clearly gives up her her chosen or forced even profession. Um, And yet with Gomer, uh, there's not really any light at the end of the tunnel, seemingly when it comes to her. Like she is, did you all ever see that book? I don't know if we ever had it in the bookstore, but it was uh, called Bad Girls of the Bible. Did y'all ever? um, It was really big for a while. And it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was like, you know, but Gomer was in it. And, um, and of course, Jezebel and Delilah, and, and you're, you know who would be in there. And, um, but it wasn't, I mean, the title was a whole lot better than the book. Um, so, um, but anyway, so there, but really Gomer uh, is so bad that you, you wouldn't put her in a book, a Christian book. You just, you wouldn't do it. And some of you are now asking, uh, who in the world is Gomer? Well, Hosea the prophet um, gets a word from the Lord. And when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself... This is where this this is this word is probably used more in one verse. I can't think of another verse in the Bible that uses this word this much, but it's the Bible. Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and that's very funny, Deblame. Uh, and and she I never noticed that. And she conceived and bore him a son. And um, so there's no sort of like. Um, Innuendo. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. This is the type of woman uh, that Gomer is. And a couple years ago, uh, a friend of mine who was doing youth ministry did a very funny on-the-street interview with a little camcorder. And he walked around and he asked people, uh, if God spoke to you and told you to marry a prostitute named Gomer, what would you do? <laughs> and everybody, of course, was taken back by this because 
this is not something that you expect the Lord to do, right? This is not something uh, that we would think is part of God's character. that I think it's pretty safe to say uh, that God would frown upon anybody trying to take up a relationship, much less marrying uh, a prostitute. And even in really great movies where, you know, like, um, well, I mean, Pretty Woman, right? There's the whole idea of redemption and Richard Gere. And I never thought I'd use the word redemption and Richard Gere in the same sentence. But <laughs> Rich, Richard Gere. And, you know, but, it, but again, it was sort of like, but that's still sort of a Rahab story, right? That's still sort of a, okay, she's turned over a new leaf, and you know, she really wasn't that bad. And, uh, but with Gomer, uh, she is just bad. She's really bad. And um, this is the text that we're going to talk about today. Chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lettuce of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, um, that's the worst part. Now, you could understand, look, if you have a, a spouse or someone of romantic interest in your life or someone that's just very close to you, you could probably forgive them for the love of cakes with raisins. Right, that's uh, that's that's something that you could probably overlook. Um, um, I'm thinking right now about the homemade pop tarts they do at Mix. Right, they're good. Anyway, little plug. So uh, you know you could forgive someone for a little thing that they might consider, you know, uh, a picadillo. You know, a little. You know, I have this this little habit, and this is just the way uh, that I am. And uh, and yet, what I think is amazing is that. And, of course, this is all in the context. The, I talk about this a lot. But the thing that the Bible, the example the Bible uses the most to show God's love for his people is what? Marriage. Marriage. The relationship between a husband and a wife. And if you've ever been married, uh, you know that um, what might seem just like uh, an interest, maybe even an intense interest in cakes with raisins in them, uh, become the bane of your existence after you get married. Like, uh, so when you get married and you sit down, uh, one of the, the helpful things that I was told and I tell people is that uh, think of something that really annoys you about your future spouse. And three things could happen after you get married. One, uh, it, it could get better. They could get better. They could improve. Uh, two, they could stay the same. Or three, they could get worse. And 99.9% of the time, what happens? The latter two, right? Best case scenario, they kind of stay the same and you just find crumbs and raisins all over the house. But you find that those things that might seem so simple and trivial really start to get at you, really start to get at you. And so what Hosea is saying, what the Lord is saying through him is, uh, you think that's annoying, right? And, and it is, like it's a problem. Uh, 
But not only does Hosea take Gomer to be his wife, you notice in this passage that she continues to be unfaithful. And so who in their right mind uh, would, one, plan or wish to marry someone who had proven to be unfaithful, uh, but someone who once had been unfaithful continued to do so? Like, like the, 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 in chapter 3, what we're dealing with right now is Hosea is saying, you need to take a break from your philandering for, for a time certain. And the image that is being given to us is God's relationship to the people of Israel who are like Gomer, who are, it's us, right? Who, uh, like Gomer, on the one hand will pledge fidelity and faithfulness, uh, but on the other hand uh, can't help but continue in their pattern of behavior and uh, how is it that God deals with us in spite or in light of uh, our unfaithfulness uh, to him. And uh, in marriage, uh, one of the things that, and I'm, I'm back on this raisin cake things, um, that a lot of people read 1 Corinthians 13 at their weddings, and, and you know, it sounds, it sounds nice, doesn't it? I mean, it is. It's a lovely passage. It's not talking about marriage, but it, it'll work. And, <laughs> and you know, it has, um, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am like a resounding gong. And, and, and what St. Paul is doing is he's actually sort of listing off all of these wonderful attributes and assets that, that he might actually have in his life, but he's saying without love, uh, they mean uh, nothing. And then he goes to a list of, of love um, keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not eagerly, eagerly angered. And the funny thing about that is that I look at that, and that is so counter to the reality of human relationships as not to be believed. So think about it. When you first meet somebody, uh, do you want to put forward the foot of humility and say, all the best that I have to offer is really nothing? Right? Josh Corrigan in the back there has a T-shirt that says, "I bring nothing to the table." Like that's not to wear on your first date, right? You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to. Um, because then they start thinking they'll have to pay, and it's awkward. And um, um, so, but. Um, but what do you do on your first date, right? Even, you know, you, you hold open your doors and you push in chairs and you take them to a very, very nice restaurant that you probably can't afford if you're young and dating. And um, you guys will even look in the mirror and say, you know, did I wear this last time? How do I look? Things like that. And then, uh, and really, you want them to see what is the best of you, right? Your A game. And then there comes a point in the relationship where you think, I'm not sure how much longer I can do this. Um, and you're worried, like, the real you is going to... Ha- now, that's not that that other stuff isn't you, but it's not the total you, and, uh, and the raisin cakes come out. Right? <laughs> the raisin cakes come out. And you know this, like, you're dating someone and what would otherwise be a very normal, great, attractive person, like, all of a sudden, something kind of... The raisin cake comes rolling out, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> Whoa, like there's something about the people that you fall deeply in love with that, that you think they've got a screw loose. And, and it's true. But this is love, not that you love them for their A game, but you know all about the raisin cakes, and yet you still love them. 
All right, that's powerful. Go listen to John O'Lineball's last talk uh, last week for the Lenten Lunch series, and he talks about this. And uh, fully known and yet uh, fully loved. And, and that's pretty scary because normally in dating relationships, when the raisin cakes come out, you have two options. Uh, normally, you break up with the person, right? And you think up some other excuse, right? I don't know what it is, but you just, you know, I, I don't know. They drive one of those Volvos from the 80s. That always seemed to be a thing for me, you know. But you still see them around. And, um, uh, and you break up or you see the mess and you engage the mess and, and you really you really love them. And so even in marriage, when those raisin cake issues come up, uh, that's when real love happens. Right? So in the marriage service, when, um, when I get up there and I say, will you take this person to da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Will you take this person to da-da-da-da-da-da? Um, what what's their response, the bride and the groom? I will. Right? Hollywood, it's I do. Hollywood's I do. And let me tell you, it's really easy on your wedding day to say I do. Right? Think about it. You're never going to look better in your entire life. <laughs> I mean, if we're honest, that's, that's kind of it. I mean, even I, I only run if somebody's chasing me, and I ran. And I, I mean, I looked great. I looked amazing. And here comes Lauren, and all of our best friends and family are there, and even the people that I don't really like are smiling at me. And, and they're all there, and Lauren is in this amazing dress, and she's beautiful. And if the minister marrying us uh, had said, Andrew, do you love her right now? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. It's a lot harder to say, yes, I will, because, um, you know, I mean, what happens uh, is, you know, you're a mess, and you marry a mess, and down the road you have little messes, and, um, and it's like, and you, and you look back at those pictures, and, and you just think, uh, what has happened to me? <laughs> um, and yet, and yet, uh, what happens is, is you know, uh, uh, you move beyond sort of the I do love into the I will love, and it's in the midst of that brokenness that real love uh, happens. And now most of us in this room, although some of us probably in this room have dealt with this, I mean, most of it's raisin cake stuff, right? Most of it's raisin, like love keeps no record of wrongs. We've all got filing cabinets, right? <laughs> um, Love is not easily angered, right? Um, and um, and so we, we all have, have those things. And there's a part of us that thinks that, you know, they're not so bad compared to other stuff. And yet, um, those things are not love as much as anything that Gomer is doing is, is not love. And even though most of us in the room have not dealt with the situation that Hosea is dealing with, uh, probably not anybody in here, uh, but at the same, in the same vein, um, here is Hosea uh, loving a woman who um, really through action can't love him back and has no intention of loving him back. In fact, he has to plead with her just for a period of time, just be my wife. Not now and always, but just right now, just, just be my wife. And they go through periods where they, they have children and things like that. And God has gone to such an extreme with Hosea that it's meant to get our attention. Because what God wants us to see is that 
the church is not just people who keep records of wrongs. The church is, although it is that, uh, the church is not just people who are easily angered uh, or maybe are not as nice as they ought to be. Um, but what God wants to see is that that sin is just as much, is just, is still enough to crucify him as much as the stuff that Gomer is up to. And really, a lot of those things in our hearts provoke unfaithfulness from us to the Lord. I mean, it's very easy for me. Um, I mean, on the one hand, you have the relationship that you have with Jesus that is ever before you. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it feels a little closer than other times. Like right now, I feel like Jesus and I are really close, right, when I'm here at church, because um, they're kind of reminders uh, around. Um, but, um, but, um, but there are other times where he doesn't, right? That I have to, it's almost, I have to remind myself. It's, it's when um, I slide into thinking if I had this in my life, I'd be a little bit happier, right? For most Christians, we don't think if we had this one thing in our life, then our wildest dreams would come true and I need this for self-fulfillment. But I'd say most of us think if I had this material item or if this went my way, life would be a little better and I'd really like that which is really kind of the same. Uh, right now for me, it's finding uh, a station wagon that's not $90,000 that has the f- seats in the back, you know, the ones that flip out in the very back. Anyway, you've got to pay 90000 for that one. So, uh, and no TV. So I really think, I think that my life would be more convenient and I don't have to you know, climb over the seats and, and make all that. And, and I'd like to say that that's a practical consideration, uh, but that's really me saying uh, I deserve better in life and, um, and really, um, I ought to get it. I ought to have it. And Bishop Salmon used to say something to me and others that was very disarming, where if I said, so, like, oh, I'm really interested in such and such, and I, I'm thinking about getting this, and Bishop Salmon would say, well, if that's what you want, then you ought to be able to have it. <laughs> and, of course, when he would say it, he'd be like, well, I guess that's that. Um, <laughs> But in spite of the fact that God sees our, I mean, he sees our unfaithfulness. He sees that our hearts are prone to wander. He sees that we are far off. He sees that on the one hand, we acknowledge him as, as the, the bridegroom and the relationship that we have with him and that we're in a covenant relationship with him. In spite of all of the outward trappings, he knows that inwardly we're far off. And, uh, and yet, he doesn't disown us. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't cast us off. And that's one of the, the real, you know, the statistic that comes out about, you know, Christian marriages and divorce and things like that. And divorce is a reality and it's a terrible reality. But one of the things that, um, that the misnomers that people have in our culture about marriage is that somehow Christian marriages are altogether different from normal non-Christian marriages. Like that we don't fight about the same things or that we don't struggle with the same issues. And if you're a Christian, your life ought to be sunshine and lollipops and you know everything's great. Uh, when in fact, the testimony of Christian marriage and the culture that we're in is that marriage is really hard. And if it weren't for Jesus, who knows what would happen? It's like when Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, was interviewed some years ago. They asked her, Mrs. Graham, you know, Dr. Graham has had a very difficult and trying career in preaching and home a lot, and you have a lot of children, and you sort of left to, to fend for them, and just 
how have you how have you made that work? And she said, well, it was very difficult. And the follow-up was, well, Mrs. Graham, have you, have you ever considered divorce? She looked down and she said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. <laughs> and... Um, So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the testimony of Christian marriage right there, uh, that, that what we can say is that marriage is really hard. Marriage is really hard. Call a thing for what it is. Um, but if it were not for the Lord, uh, loving us while we were unlovable, um, which is what marriage is all about, like really, right, marriage is not about loving somebody uh, for their A-game, because it's, as Tim Keller says, it's about gospel reenactment. That's what marriage is, is it's gospel reenactment. And so here is uh, God looking at us as spiritual gomers and saying, um, I love you and your absolute unloveliness. And he couldn't have picked a better, worse person than Gomer. Right? I'm glad he picked Gomer because if he had picked somebody else, uh, we might be prone to think that, well, I mean, you can't get much worse than her. And so what we find is that uh, God's love does not diminish uh, for even the worst. In fact, uh, the worse sinner you are, the more God loves you. Uh, I quoted Flannery O'Connor last week, and she was right to say that if you want to avoid Jesus, avoid sinning. If you want to avoid Jesus, avoid sinning. And yet, the message that we hear, um, this is probably the first Sunday school you've ever had on Gomer, for good reason. Uh, But the message that um, we hear in, in church often is if you behave yourself, then God, who loves you, will bless you. He chose you because he sees great potential in who you could be. And why shouldn't we believe this? This is how most of our human relationships work. Uh, We often say to our spouses or family members, if you loved me, then you would fill in the blank. Imagine there were times where Hosea said to Gomer, Gomer, if you really love me, then you just stop this. Stop it. I'm sure a, a number of times. And yet, um, isn't that the case with us, with God, that we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, um, you know, I think these unchristian thoughts, sometimes I do unchristian things, and, um, and I feel like if I were a real Christian, then maybe I should be able to stop but what we find is the answer to that is not uh, try harder, uh, but in fact what we see is God's love bringing about transformation. And so in those moments, and you know this in your marriage, let's say that the a raisin cake issue, you've got a raisin cake issue, and um, there are two options in marriage to dealing with the raisin cake issue, because there's still issues, right? I'm not talking about like, oh, look the other way, because Jesus never looks the other way. He always engages it. Um, You've got to deal with the raisin cake issue. One of two things. One, you can take them to raisin cake boot camp, right? It's t- this is the year of dealing with raisin cakes, right? This is when we're going to make it happen. I got you an iPod app that actually electrocutes you every time you say the word raisin or cake uh, or anything that rhymes with it. In case you try to do some code word or pig Latin, and um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna nip this. We're going to nip it in the bud. And, of course, what St. Paul said is, I tried that. It made it worse. It made it worse. I was hiding raisin cakes in my glove compartment, and (laughs) I was waking up in the middle of the night and getting raisin cakes. I paid this 15-year-old kid to go down the street and get me some raisin cakes, and, like, in a brown paper bag. It was very awkward, but good. And um, 
Right, that, that's, it all of a sudden, so on the surface it might seem like you've dealt with your raisin cakes, but really, in your heart, a raisin cake is still king. This is a, oh, raisin cake. Anyway, or the other, the other way to deal with it, which is the way that God deals with it, in which we say, see how he deals with Gomer, is when this person least deserves love, and they're under conviction, who will save me from this body of death? God increases love like a laser beam toward that person, and that's when change comes about. That's when change comes about. And that's the promise that God gives in Hosea 3, that in spite of Gomer, like their redemption is at hand. That redemption is at hand. So on the one, that's how, we, that's how God deals with this, but two... Whatever it is that you're dealing with in life right now that makes you feel like a gomer, um, your redemption is at hand. And your redemption is not contingent upon you being able to get your act together. God's love is not proportional to your ability. You know, I, growing up in our house, we would say things like, pray as if it depended on God, work as if it depended upon you. That's bad advice. That's bad advice. Unless you're changing a tire, then you should change the tire um, because God's not going to do it for you. But, but spiritually speaking, um, it doesn't work that way um, because honestly, I mean, how many of us, if we could, if we could fix it, if we could fix it, even if we could fix it a little bit, wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. But this is not how God operates. Uh, God knows uh, that you are, by nature, a conditionally bought and sold human being. And still, Jesus' death on the cross is the final declarative statement that God's love for you is unconditional. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, even Gomer's. It's not a love that forgives once or any number of times, but is timeless and unremitting. And this is the love that brings redemption, uh, even to those of us who feel like gomers uh, in the world. I'm going to end it there. Questions, comments, concerns? Anyone want to admit anything? Um, (laughs) You're in the tree. This is safe. All right, well, you can always, this is what ends up happening. People email me, um, and those are really good questions, so if you have one now, uh, I finished a little bit early. Um, but Okay, so next week we will continue with Malchus and Simon of Cyrene, and then uh, the week after that we will do um, the Roman centurion. So... Um, so again, uh, this whole series is about people who you would l- least expect to convert, but, but God has a way of, um, of operating in their lives and uh, ought to give us a lot of hope uh, and a lot of trust uh, in him. And so let's pray. Uh, Lord, we do pl- pray that you would instill in us a strong sense of hope um, and peace, resting in the knowledge uh, that you have done it all for us and that Uh, No matter how far we wander, if we are in you, um, uh, we won't get too far away. And in fact, you uh, will never leave us nor forsake us and that you'll leave the 99 in in order to pursue after uh, the one. And so, uh, Lord Jesus, 
uh, we pray um, that we would have the truth that you are faithful despite our ongoing reality, that we are unfaithful. And so love us and that our lives might exhibit your love and your gospel to this broken and fallen world. In Jesus' name, amen.